Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. I am so excited to spend a few minutes with you today, and uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for Colby um, and his whole family. Uh, I got to hang out with them a little bit last night. Uh, we do have a shared experience in the past, and, and it's a privilege for me to spend a few minutes with you today. We, ch- we cheer for you in Toledo. Like when we hear stories of success about what God's doing through you in Toledo, you've got to know, you've got an army of fans in Northwest Ohio excited about what God's doing in this place. And so thank you. That's exciting. Um, I know Colby said this earlier, but I'm glad you're keeping the lights on here. I mean, I know he said, you know, it's not about the lights, but if the lights go out here, if the doors don't open here, if people aren't here investing in the mission and vision that God's put in this place, Erie gets a little darker, okay? And so thank you for that work. And I want you to keep supporting Colby and his family. I saw a Barna statistic this past year that 75% of pastors are considering leaving the ministry entirely. 75%. We're talking not going to another church, but driving like bread trucks and Amazon trucks for a living because of all that has happened. And, and I think, you know, you've got an incredible senior pastor here who cares about your church, cares about your community whole family does good. It's good people. And you know, you know, the churches have enough bad reputation. I want to celebrate the good ones. So let's start. I have a question I want to start with, and I don't mind a little interaction. I was listening to Colby preach, uh, uh the start of the series. And he's good. So if you're sitting there disappointed, he's on next week. All right. So just, you know, have fun with me for a week, but you'll have the real serving next week. But uh, I want to have a little interaction, some fun today. And so the first question is, if you were to win the Powerball, the 180, I know we're in church. It's okay. You could talk about this. All right. If you were to win the Powerball, 180 million, what's the first thing that you would do with the money? You could tell the person next to you, if you're online, put it in the chat or talk in the living room. Like, what would you do? With $180 million. Come on, somebody. I I got a hand in the back. Okay, hand in the back. What would you do? You'd give half of it to the poor. You'd give half of it to the poor. How many of you was with them? You'd You'd give some of the money away. If you said give it to church... Okay, good. Okay, that's why Colby brought me here, is to talk about buying lottery tickets and giving the money to the church. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I need another answer. What else would you do with it? Uh, what else? I mean, yes, we would, yes, right here. Oh, we had this last, this is boring people. $180 million. Yes. Uh, hire a nanny. Can I get an amen? That's no, getting better. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Here's what I would do with the money. Yes. I would give to the church and I, I, I think that's important. And, you know, you know, I have some loans as well that I would love to pay off. And so I'm with you in that category. You know, that's not as fun. But if I, if I had $180 million, one of the first things that I would do is I would buy some, a waterfront house, a house on the water. Who's with me? All right, where are you at? That's right. 
come on, here's my family. We love going to places like, uh, this is the Mommy River. And so this is uh, my, my squad. It's more than that. But this is my amazing teammate, Lauren. And uh, we've been married for 20 years this year. So we're rocking 20 years. That's right. Thanks. Uh, it, you shouldn't clap for me. You should pray for her. Okay. Yeah, yes, you should clap for me. It's amazing. This is my 15-year-old daughter, Lydia. Sam, he was here in the first service. 12-year-old Sam, uh, nine-year-old Noah, and uh, five, soon to be six-year-old Mary. And so we're like a party on wheels. In fact, I think I'm part of the inspiration that the Adkins family went to four, okay? Because they saw what was happening in Snydersville and they're like, all right, we need one more. All right, we need one more. That's that kind of how it works. So uh, something happens when we think about like a limitless amount of money that um, it, it feels weird, but it's, I think it's true for all of us. Like if you think about a limitless amount of money and you were to like pinpoint the feeling, you can't maybe even name it, but there's like this smile, you kind of get, as you, as you start to allow yourself to think about it, right? And you kind of take a deep breath, like, it kinda, it's kind of like that. That would be nice, <laughs> right? You, you kind of feel that. And I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is referring to here when he says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, like Jesus says, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. I don't have to ask for your hands. You and I, what we all have in common is we actually want a life that's rich and satisfying and like meaningful. And I know right now you're talking about kingdom culture. Like, like what is it that Jesus wants to initiate in our world? What kind of culture is he trying to insert into the culture that we find ourselves in? And, and I have a feeling if I could put a word on that, my contribution to this series is that he would want a culture that has that rich and satisfying. I, I think the spiritual word for that would be a culture of blessing. He wants a culture of blessing. If culture is shaped by the behaviors and the mindsets of the majority of the people that are in it, then if you look at the church today, do you see a bunch of people that feel rich and satisfied? I don't know that you do. I mean, you catch me some days. I don't know that I have that kind of face, that kind of mindset, that kind of inner feeling either. Why? Well, Jesus said it here in the verse. There's a problem. There's a thief. And the thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy what Jesus comes to give. And I don't know about you, but the thief doesn't show up on your door knocking like, hey, I'm going to take all you got. Okay, it's coming with me, right? They know. Thief doesn't do that. A thief sneaks, shows up when you don't expect it, takes it when you don't see it. And I think that's why some people, when they hear this verse, they think what Jesus is talking about it's now 180 million. I was really, this was before, you know, it's now 180. I was hoping somebody would win the lottery. It'd be like, I got the ticket, you know, but hasn't happened yet, you know. But I think sometimes we think like riches, like we think earthly money. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to millions. I, you know, I'm not here to say go buy lottery tickets, but I don't, th I, I don't think that this in and of itself is the enemy. Here's what's interesting though. The guy who won a, a 1.5 billion in the mega millions, I think it was a year or two ago, maybe earlier, late of 2020, he wanted to remain anonymous. Why? Because when people find out you won 1.5 billion, you don't realize how much more money can make your life feel like a curse. Because suddenly all your friends like, hey, we played football together in high school. What's 10 grand for me? Don't you care about me? Family, friends, people. It can totally tear apart your life. 
And the thief wants us convinced that this is what you really need. And so we, we feel like, uh, we, we don't want to say it out loud, but we feel like if we had more of that, then we would have a rich and satisfying life. Or, or if you're like me, do you know what sounds rich and satisfying? Let me show you. Mighty fine donuts. <laughs> That's right. I couldn't believe it, but it's true. You can buy a scratch off a cigarette and a donut all in the same spot. I mean, it's so good. We actually went there last night and it was closed. I thought it was open 24 hours. Colby, I'm like, Colby, you got to take me to Mighty Fine. I, I'm serious. This, every time I go somewhere, local town, I want local flavor donuts. I do it all the time. So because it was closed, you showed up with a box of fresh ones this morning. Man, I love you so much. That was so good. And they are mighty fine, right? <laughs> they are so good. The problem is, if I fill my life with Mighty Fine donuts, I'm going to be mighty dead, all right? <laughs> it's like, you're going to be carting me out of here. And I might have a problem this morning. So uh, here's another image of what a rich and satisfying life looks like. I think this describes some people's prayer life, right? <laughs> it's like, oh God, I only pray when I need something. It's like, if you rub the lamp, if I pray the right way, then God's going to show up my life. And for some of you, this is why you're frustrated or why your friends are frustrated with God because they prayed and they believed and they trusted and he didn't grant their wish and well, I think what we don't realize is when this is our idea of what Jesus is talking about is we put ourselves in the seat of master. And yes, the genie can have all the cosmic power of the universe. Like, God, you have it all. But we confine him to an itty bitty living space in our life. And we, thank you. I like this. We got Amen Corner over here. This is going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Oh, and so when we think of ourselves as master, then his wish should really be our command. And that's just backwards. See, we need to remember in John 10, 10, he's talking about not an external life, not just a life of good food or, or things that taste and feel good earthly wise. He's not, he's not talking about a genie. He's talking about a kingdom culture, an inner life. And, and who's the giver? He's the giver of an inner life of Peace, joy, hope, love, things that aren't dependent upon what's happening around us, but can show up in every environment. And there is a warning that Jesus is giving here that some things that you and I think are going to bring it may actually bring a curse instead. And so let's pay attention. Like, what is it that God wants to do on the inside? And how do we begin to experience this in our life? And I think there's, there's many things that you've heard talked about, but I wanna talk about one posture in particular that I think helps us begin to experience this in our life. It's our bottom line today. If you're taking notes, if there's one thing I want you to remember, it's this. It's that God blesses an open hand more than a closed fist. Like if you're gonna experience kingdom culture, it's gonna come as you live open-handedly. Why? Because our culture wants to close, protect, own, hold, save, mine. And this gets in direct competition with the life that God invites us into. He wants us to trust him, right? He wants us to place our faith, to be open-handed. And the worldly culture wants us to be afraid of what it's gonna cost us, of how much it's gonna hurt, of what it's gonna mean. And so I wanna share a story where you get to see what it looks like and the many ways we need to live open-handedly with God. And it's a story that you're familiar with. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You probably heard a piece of it. And here's the problem. You already know the end of the story. And so often we kind of like, oh, I've heard this one before. You know, I read this before. And what we miss are some of the subtle things, subtle ways that Jesus leads the disciples on a journey, forcing them to open their hands to him. And so I want to, I want you to put yourself in the story. 
today. And I, I think I'm gonna be able to help you do that. We'll have some fun. The context for this is Jesus has sent out the disciples on their, I think one of their first assignments. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few stories that's actually written in all four accounts of Jesus' life. There are four biographical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And within all four of them, they capture different details, different perspectives of the story. So I'll be hopping around between some of the different texts to pull some of these principles out. And the disciples had gone out. They had been sent by Jesus to do some of Jesus' work. Think about it. They went from working at Jeep or being an electrician or you know whatever your, your local blue collar factory industry is here. They got recruited by a new pastor to go out and do pastor's work. Think about that job change, right? And they're coming back pumped because they're like, we watched God show up through us in ways we never thought possible. And while they were doing that, one of Jesus' uh, family members, his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, was brutally beheaded as a party favor by King Herod. And it was a brutal execution. So Jesus finds out the news about this. And, and I think sometimes we think Jesus is a robot. Like, you know, like he's Batman. Like he, he never responds. He never, he's just always there. And the truth is, I think he was impacted. He was grieving while at the same time wanting to celebrate. So he, he said to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the lake house. Let's go across the lake. Let's get away from all the people. Let's relax. We haven't had some time to ourselves. And so they do, they get in the boat. They row across Galilee. And the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. Now, those of you that are parents, you know exactly what this is like, okay? <laughs> in fact, you go to the most uncomfortable seat in the house. You know, that little white seat with the small room and the door and you close the door just to get a couple moments of peace and somebody comes knocking on that door. Who's hiring the nanny? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, come on. <laughs> go away. You know, it's like, or you go on vacation, like you're finally getting a weekend off and the boss texts you, I need you to call right away. And you want to throw your phone into the lake. You know, it's like, I imagine that this is what's happening. Put yourself on Jesus dream team. Okay. If you're on Jesus dream team, you're one of the disciples and you're like, you're so looking forward to chilling out with Jesus, telling stories, relaxing, getting, you know, getting to sleep in and you kind of roll, you know, you're rowing in and you got people standing there. Hi, <laughs> hi, Jesus. Peter, <laughs> so glad you're here. You know, it's like, turn around the boat. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, I want to go away. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. Like he leaned in. If I'm one of the dream team members, I'm like, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm angry at Jesus. I'm like, I'm tired. I ain't got time for this. No, uh, 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 uh. so he leans in. And because we're part of the dream team, we feel if, we feel obligated. So it's like, all right, guys, let's start setting up chairs, you know, and every, you know, they're like pulling out the chairs for the crowd and they're looking at Jesus. Like, what? I know there weren't chairs, but put yourself in the story. Will you come on? They're setting up chairs and they're kind of putting, looking at Jesus. Like, okay, we got to do this again. You know, and they're laying out a couple rows. All right, you guys can have, and they look back and the seats are already full. All right, more chairs and just setting them up, you know, and pretty soon they get done with hillside number one and they're moving to hill number two, you know, and it's like, oh, there's a lot of people here today. Now they're filling up the kids hill. It's like an overflow. They're like, oh, this is going to be lit. And it says that Jesus began to teach them many things, which if you look it up in the original language was Jesus was preaching for a long time. Look at what it says. It says late in the afternoon. They started at the 8.30 service and pretty soon 10.30 was rolling in. You know, you know it's like 10 o'clock, 11.30. You know, you're like calling up. Yeah, you're gonna have to cancel brunch today because uh, 
he going long, you know, <laughs> not only are you losing brunch, but you know, the Browns game, you're missing the, who's a Browns fan here? Thank you. Cause if there are Steelers fans, I'm going to quit right now. I'm just kidding. I know there are Steelers fans. I don't want to hear about it. Oh, right there. Yeah. What's your name? Jim. Jim. Let's pray for Jim, everybody right now. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Really glad you're here. You need God. Okay. So, uh, Actually, the Browns just need to beat the Steelers once, okay? That'd be great. Anyway, I'm off track. So, you know, they're like hanging out. The, the sun is setting. Like the day is gone. What would you do? You know what the disciples are doing? They're in the back making eye contact with Jesus. They're like, bro, huh. like, come on. If, give my con-. Everybody look at him at once, you know? They're like, they're like he, I think he can see us, right? And so they decide as a group of 12, and I, I, you know, we don't know much about Philip. I like to think of Philip as the guy that could say things to Jesus that nobody else could say, or, you know, it's like, so the whole, look at what it says. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him. And I think Philip, according to one of the accounts, gets nominated to come up to Jesus. He's like, sorry, everybody. Sorry, uh, Jesus, excuse me. First of all, Wow. This is great stuff, man. This is so good. I, I never imagined that you could fit a whole series into one afternoon, okay? I mean, this is like this is like six weeks worth of content. And you're really bringing it. And some of the guys were wondering if we could wrap... The, I mean, I could listen to you for hours, Jesus. Hours. You're amazing. But Peter over there is getting... You know, some of the guys are just wondering if we should maybe, you know, kind of wrap things up. I'm hungry. We're... I mean, the people... Think about the people. We should... Send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so that they can find some food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here. This is a remote place. Makes sense, right? I mean, let's, let's care for the people. We've been here for hours. Like, like, let's take a break and I'm sure they'll be back tomorrow. And here's how Jesus replies. You feed them. <laughs> huh. Walks back to the disciples. Well, what do you say? What do you say? He said, we should, we should feed them. Peter's like, oh man, Jesus is sarcastic. Yeah, I thought he was being funny, but I laughed. He didn't, okay? He was serious. It's like, maybe he didn't get much sleep last night. You know, Jesus was accused by religious leaders of being demon-possessed, and I imagine a couple of disciples are like, maybe he is. You know, this is weird, right? They couldn't see the miracle. All they could see was a big problem. And the weird thing is Jesus was asking them to fix it. If you're going to experience kingdom culture and be a part of what God wants to do in your life, you have to be open to the part that God wants you to play. (laughs) They, They didn't say at this point, oh, guys, this is the time when Jesus feeds the 5,000. You know, we were going to be talked. No, it's just a bunch of people who needed food. All they saw was a huge problem. And I think sometimes we see a huge problem and what do we do? We're like, well, God, we need you to fix it. And when God shows up and says, you feed them, when God shows up and says, you step into it, when God shows up and says, you invest in kingdom culture, we're like, we don't know what to do with that. And we need to be open to the part that God wants us to play. At this point, the disciples are like, uh, 
Maybe he doesn't like realize that it's not just one hill. It's like multiple hills of people. And so in Mark, you see this response, right? Or in John, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for everybody to have one donut hole, right? It's like, in the story, it tells us that 5,000 men were a part of this. That's actually 5,000 households. And I don't know if you've been around a Jewish family. They have more than one kid, right? So you're probably talking somewhere between 15 to 20,000 people. This is a lot of people. And the disciples take it upon themselves to do the math for Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you can see this, but you know, if you do the calculator and the spreadsheet here in Excel, it's going to be like a lot, right? And we, like, you recruited us. We don't have a whole lot, but we need to be open to the role that God wants us to play. And we need to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that just culturally to us from our earthly, from our Western point of view, don't make much sense. It may even feel a little bit like impossible. You may be sitting there going, well, what difference does it make? I'll give you a practical example. Like start your day praying first. Instead of waiting and making prayer the last resort, make it your first response. Give God some of the first parts of your day. Like, and you know what people are going to say? People are going to say, well, what difference does that make? From a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. But God isn't asking us to perpetuate worldly culture. He's asking us to step into and bring kingdom culture to be open to what God wants us to do. Another thing that doesn't make sense is like, think about for, for, for the Israelite people for years, they participated in first fruits. We hear that term, but what that meant is when the harvest first started coming in, they didn't feed their family first. They didn't pay off all of their bills first. No, they brought the very first to God. And here's what I would be thinking. What if a windstorm? What if a snowstorm? What if a flood wipes out the rest of the harvest? No, God says, trust me first. Like tithing and giving to God first doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to our early culture, but he invites us to live. He blesses an open hand more than a, I'm going to keep what's mine and protect what's mine first. And so that's what the disciples are experiencing. And I imagine if I'm one of the disciples at this point, I'd be like, I thought you were the Messiah. Why are you pushing this on me? Why are you asking me to do it? Jesus, you crazy. And here's what Jesus replies. How much bread do you have? Go and find out. Okay, Jesus, I'll go and find out. <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? He said, uh, how much bread do you have? Like, is he blind? We ain't got any bread, right? We got nothing. Duh, it's like, it's obvious. Why is he being such a stick in the mud at this point? Well, I think what we begin to see is that we need to be open to what you have instead of what you lack. I think the only thing that the disciples could see is, they, is what they didn't have. And I think sometimes that's what we bring back to God. We ain't got nothing, God. We, we don't have enough. Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. If you have kids in elementary, they're probably hearing or being taught this principle. And she basically illustrates the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset is... Un, not really open, not flexible, doesn't feel like they can grow, change with time. It's like once it's there, it's there. 
A growth mindset is open to opportunity, is open to change. A fixed mindset feels like failure is final. Like if you screw it up, you're done. And so a fixed mindset works really hard to try to put up appearances, to make it look like it's okay. Whereas a growth mindset, even in failure, you can learn, grow and develop. And even if it gets hard and it doesn't go right, it doesn't have to look perfect because I'm gonna keep growing and I'm gonna keep moving forward. Do you have a fixed mindset? Or do you have a growth mindset? A fixed mindset sees failure as disaster. A growth mindset, long before she ever wrote the book, God is trying to teach us as people to trust him, to have a growth mindset. That's called faith. It means no matter what, I can trust that God's involved here. When Jesus says, go, How much bread do you have? Go and find out. He's trying to invite them into a growth mindset. He's hoping they'll see beyond what they lack and begin to see what God may want to do in their midst. And we don't know when, we don't know how, but in John, we're told that a boy or some young child has a sack lunch from Long John Silver's, a two-piece meal with extra rolls, okay? I know it's been years. Some of you didn't even know Long John Silver's is still around, but it is. A couple of them, you know, we have one in Toledo, but two-piece meal with extra rolls. And so they basically bring this, they come back and they report, we have five loaves and two fish. Now, how would you present that to Jesus? We did what you asked. And we have a real big meal, two pieces of fish and five loaves. This is not a cornucopia of food, Jesus, okay? We don't really have enough to feed everybody. It's not a limitless supply that we can just plop in the middle and have everybody, no, no, it's not even close. And again, If you can imagine being there, imagine his response when the next thing he says is this. We'll tell everybody to sit down in groups of 50 then. All right, group over here. Uh, Can you circle up into a group of 50? Okay, that's right. Uh, How about you? Can you circle up into a group of 50? Could you imagine being one of the disciples? You gotta do this like, you know, for 5,000 families. If you ever tried to get adults to do something, they're no different than three-year-olds. They don't listen. They're like, no, I'm not listening to you. And then they start talking over you. And then two guys in the back start joking around or, you know, playing on their phone. It's like, come on, the first century people aren't that different. And so they go out without any evidence that they can do anything to actually meet the needs of the people. They're grouping them up into groups of 50. I don't know that that's what would happen, but that's what I would have been doing. And I would be thinking to myself and grumbling, it would have been a lot easier to just send everybody home, but he's making us do all of this. They can't see the miracle. And what sometimes we don't understand is, you know, maybe we are going to trust God and maybe we are going to be open to the possibilities. Maybe we do have a growth mindset and we're going to be open to what may be doing in our midst and not just focused on what we lack. And then when it gets to this part of the adventure, we have to be open to God's order because God brings order to chaos. And so sometimes we want God's blessing, but we don't want to follow God's orders. It feels like rules. It feels uptight. It feels like, ah, I want to do it my own way. Like people want a better marriage, but they don't follow God's order. They don't follow the ways that he teaches husbands to treat their wives and wives to treat their husbands. People want a better sex life. They talk about it and write about it all the time, but they don't want to follow God's order. They want a better family life, but they don't follow God's order. They want better finances, but they don't follow God's order. They think they can do it on their own. And here's, here's what Jesus is doing. He's just modeling. Hey, 
God is arranging. He wants to arrange things in your life to be prepared for what he wants to do in our midst. That's what it looks like to live with an open hand. Be open to his order. That's what he's doing here when he tells them to sit down in groups of 50 each. And so I imagine the disciples are trying to stay open. They're reluctant. They're stepping into it. You're like, all right, circle up. And perhaps as they're doing this, you know, and they're kind of mumbling as they're walking among the hills. They're like, I wonder... Like, what's Jesus doing? I can't figure it out. And one disciple is like, I remember in Sunday school when uh, they were talking about 2 Kings, the prophet Elijah, he's talked about in 2 Kings. He's given like 20 loaves of bread and he feeds a hundred people. I wonder if you, like, I wonder if he's up to something. Another disciple is like, yeah, he's going to pray and you're going to see the bread expand like the Hulk. And it's just going to become one big loaf. You know, they're dreaming about all of this stuff. You're going to see it expand. And here's what they, as they get done, here's what they see Jesus do. He took the five loaves, two fish and looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. So people are circled up. And in Jewish culture, when you bless something, you took it and you open-handedly lifted it up to God. He offered it to God first. He's like, hey, I need God's blessing before this can do anything. Like it's only God that can multiply. It's only God that can do the miracle. We think it's best in our hands. So that's why we always have to be open to his blessing first. Because God can do things with our lives, our earthly resources, our little that we just can't. And when you give it to God first and you operate in his order and you're open to what he can do, then you see him show up in ways that you never could have imagined. Imagine being there in the story. Put yourself, you're anticipating. Jesus is praying, right? He's praying. He's lifted this loaf up to heaven. If it were me, I'd be one eye open. You know, I know some people like they can pray with their eyes closed, but I would pray with mine open there, like waiting for manna to fall from heaven. And so what does he do after the prayer? <clears throat> he broke the loaves into pieces. Not, nothing happened. In fact, <laughs> if you think about it, he took a perfectly good loaf and he made it smaller. <laughs> oh, this, this is how this is going to go? I think this is where too many of us quit. Is we want God to work and we're open to it. And we follow his order and we offer to it first and then it breaks. It gets smaller. It doesn't go the way that we want. And if we're going to experience God's best and blessed life, we have to be open even when it breaks. <laughs> I, I can't, I mean, if I were to go back and, and take you to the point where I was asked to be the lead pastor of Cedar Creek, a role that I was not like gunning for, right? Our founding pastor got Parkinson's and, and I, you know, people were before this, they were like, do you see yourself being lead pastor of Cedar Creek? I'm like, no, you gotta be an idiot to wanna follow a legend like Lee Powell. Like that's the guy that gets run out of town, you know, no, you know it's a tough role. And when that day came along, and then after that, a few small things, but significant things began to show up and it felt like every, things were starting to break apart. I remember thinking, I didn't sign up for this. I can remember when I would you know, offer, give generously to God and then you'd come home and the car needs a transmission. And you're like, God, you told me and you betrayed me, right? When it breaks, we think he's done us wrong. That's what he does with the bread. It's oftentimes God breaks things. 
before he, what's a break? There's a pause, there's a diminishing. It's an interruption. It's not what we expected. But if you think about it, they went from five loaves to 10. And so he took those 10 rolls. After he broke it, he took the pieces and he gave it to the disciples. And imagine them walking up to the group of 50 and you've got a half a roll now, you know, like a half a loaf. And you're looking at this. And what's your name here, sir? Everybody say hi, James. He gives it, I give it to James. I'm like, here you go. (laughs) Take a little piece. Okay. See all the people behind you. They want food too, bro. And then James starts passing it around. Right. And it gets to like 10 people. It's like Snyder. I said, take less. Okay. You can look at all these people. You know, some people are like, this isn't very much. I'd be like, shut up. I'm just doing what he's telling me to do. Okay. And so once it runs out, once you're out of bread, I'm like, yep exactly what I thought would happen. Not enough. (laughs) Let me go tell Jesus, sorry, I'll take it up with him and I get back. And there's another, another loaf, half a loaf. Okay. Somebody must not have wanted some. Hey, good news folks. (laughs) We got a little bit more. We can go another 10 people. All right, good. A little less, please. Okay, good. Okay. Crumbs. Everybody's had a little nibble. (laughs) I don't know how long that's going to last, but yeah, sorry. We'll probably wrap up soon. All right. No big deal. You know, Weird. There's more. Look, I mean, look at what it says. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. I, at first, it, it felt like a failure. <laughs> and as they kept opening their hands and giving it away, it kept showing up to the point where it's like, we got rolls. <laughs> James, you want two? You want three, bro? Boom, <laughs> here's some extra fish. You know, it's like people are eating for days. We got fish here. They're running around like it's a ball game. And with a, you know, it's like, we think it all just showed up. You know, some people say that everybody just opened their secret sack lunch. You're gonna see why that couldn't have happened in just a minute. They couldn't see the miracle at first. And at this point, what felt like a failure all day long was turning into a story that they wouldn't shut up about. And what's amazing to me isn't just that the miracle happened. It's that God invited them to experience the miracle, even though they were reluctant. He didn't need the perfect attitude. He just blesses an open hand more than a closed fist. And so I want you to be open to see him meet your need abundantly. And here's what's interesting. You're open to this. I am too. It's just that I'm not always open to the path that he invites me to take to get there because it's not always how I expect. It's not always what I expect. It's not always when I expect. And the disciples didn't see it until they kept opening their hand and allowed the miracle to take place in their hand in partnership with their master's hand. It wasn't Jesus distributing the food. Why? Because God has significant work for you to do. Like he's invited you to play a part in doing some kingdom culture work right here in Erie. And look at the result. Look at the result. They ate, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That's why it couldn't have been everybody's sack lunch. They didn't have 12 baskets of food left over based on somebody just feeding their family alone. This was a miracle. 
as much as they wanted. God showed up, the champion, the winner. This is what he is famous for, but it didn't look that way at the start. You see, friends, faith opens the hand. The hand opens out of trust, trusting his kingdom culture, trusting his calling in your life, trusting where he's put you, his power, his order, even when things don't make sense, even when you feel like you don't have enough. Faith opens the hand, but the hand closes out of fear as you try to do it your own way, as you try to hold on to what you have. I want you to trust today that God blesses an open hand more than a closed fist. Jesus taught about it. Look at what he says. If you try to, what's that word? Hang on to your life. If you close your hand around your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up, if you open your hand to me for my sake, you will save it. You will find a rich and satisfying life. And yes, it's an uncommon path, but this is what the blessed kingdom culture looks like. Here's the way Jesus said it uh, differently. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will, what will he do? He will put in your hand everything you need. So I don't know where God is saying, hey, open your hand to me today. Maybe for some of you, it's saying yes to him for the very first time. And instead of trying to do it right for God, receive the grace that Jesus came to give. He wants you to experience a rich and satisfying life. And I don't know where the thief has been stealing, killing, and destroying the life that God has for you, but maybe it's time to open your hand around the calling that God has put in your life. The way that you schedule your time to give him time first, to pray first. Maybe it's your talent and learning to use your gifts, whatever they are, to be a part of his dream team of people, awakening the world to his grace. I imagine for some of you, it's around your finances, especially with some of the things that God's put on the heart of this church to do. It's like, where do you need to open your hand and go, yeah, it's not mine anyway. I want you to take a minute, just kind of, if you need to close your eyes and just go, okay, God, where are you trying to speak to me? Because I believe that when you're open between my mouth and your ears, God's spirit shows up. And so take a minute, bow your heads. For those of you that have never taken your first step of faith, if you wanna do that today, if you wanna open your life to the saving grace of God and the work that he wants to do in you and through you, just tell him right now in the quietness of your heart. If you need words, use these. God, today, I realize my need for you. I realize I've been closed handed with you. And so I open my heart to your salvation and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus came and died for me. And I believe that he came back from the dead, giving me hope of new life with you. I wanna follow you from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer today, today is a spiritual birthday for you. I know the team here would love to celebrate with you. Today is the start of a life-changing adventure. For the rest of us, would you just open your hands on your lap? Like if you wanna experience God's life for you, just right there, make this your prayer with me. God, I pray for every person here with open hands. And God, I pray for myself that I would live open-handedly before you. That no matter where you invite me to step into the problem that seems bigger than me, no matter where I feel like I lack, no matter what the whispers of the thief are telling me I'm not enough, God, would you help all of us 
be open to the work that you wanna do in us and through us? Would you help us see the miracles you wanna make in our community, in our nation and around our world and give us the courage to bring your blessed culture to every person that we meet. And thank you that it's not on our shoulders, that you are our champion leading the way, resourcing us, using us and guiding us. And God, I pray at the end of the day, at the end of our life, we will look back and go, I am so thankful that I said, yes, I opened my hand to the work that you wanted to do in my life. And so we pray that together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.